Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm a father figure for 13 children. Are they biologically mine? <laughs> Not that I know of. Did I adopt them? Nah. So who am I? I'm their educator. To those 13 children, some with fathers and some with father-like figures, I'm another protector, nurturer, birthday planner, nurse when they get a boo-boo, hairdresser, when, you know, I got to re-raid some. And sometimes, you know what, I'm a meanie when I have to set firm boundaries <laughs> that they don't like in their lives. But in the eyes of society, I'm not a father to them. I'm just a person with them until... Mom comes along. When we think of father and fatherhood, we fail to recognize the impact that male figures have on a child's life. It means we ignore the contributions and life lessons being taught in the shop as our barber cuts our hair. It means we ignore the lessons we learn about brotherhood after we see the older boys in the hood stand up for you after a bully knocks us down. It means we fail to acknowledge the dual roles of our mothers, both the biological ones and the ones we view as such have to play in order to love their child of color in the world struggling to do so. And so the pivotal question remains the same. Why is it that when we think about fathers and father-like figures in our world, we don't see them as caring and loving souls? Why is it that we call it quote-unquote adorable when we see male involvement in preschool, maternity wards, dance recitals, and other places normalized for one gender over another. Why are we surprised when we see black and brown male involvement in the lives of the children in our world? Hey friends, welcome to the all new version of Napcast, a podcast co-hosted and produced by Nick and Mike, two male early childhood educators of color. What is this all about? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever uttered the words, I just want to listen and learn more? Then hey, you've come to the right place. This podcast is all about taking risks, leaning into your imagination, and well, being as curious as we are about how we can dismantle racism, sexism, and all the isms in our early learning environments. Oh, and this is 
also a place where we can kind of sort of just get weird with it. Together, we'll listen to insights and feedback from various educators of color working with our world's youngest citizen in direct and indirect way. Ooh, just the thought of that should send chills down your spine. So, are you ready? Did you turn your headphones up? All right now. Good. Let's get it. Welcome to Napcast, a Napcast co-produced, co-written, co- Spoken? Spoken? Uh, <laughs> co-danced? I don't know. What else do we do? <laughs> By two young, attractive brothers of color. Mm-hmm. Mike Brown. Nick. Mike, so we co- We don't got the co- Co-conspirator? Co- um, co- Co-conspirator? There you go. <laughs> it's been a while since we've done this, so we got to ease on down the road back into this. Mike Brown, pronouns are he, him. And Nick Terronis or Terronis, uh, pronouns he, him. And we are your two male educators of color, mm-hmm. as aforementioned. And so today, I want to talk about, so we 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 have a, a presentation that we also do with our homie, Amir Gilmore, who's been on the show a couple of times. Um, he couldn't make today's recording, but we have a presentation that's some that's somewhat similar to what we're going to talk about today. And that one that you can always book us at by emailing us at napcast, one word, um, just like the name of this podcast, 206 at gmail.com. That's napcast206 at gmail.com. Also find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Anyways, we have a, a workshop titled joy and healing through male engagement and today i kind of want to just scratch the surface a little bit about what we talk in that uh, presentation about and when we think about male engagement i think we need to think about it as as a structure Mm -hmm. and nick i know that's more of something that you're more familiar with so what do you mean about this this idea this concept well it's interesting like when you when you're talking about when you brought up this idea just now of uh, male engagement, I, you know, my contrarian way of being, I'm all, I'm automatically thinking and seeing it at a, as a view of, well, what are the structures that are creating male disengagement? Mm. Right. And for some people, like, or a lot of us, like we, we could, we might call this patriarchy. And I, and I know we had, that was a hot topic. That was, <laughs> pa- that was fun though. Yeah. Patriarchy in the ECE, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I think my thoughts have shifted since then, um, but also have fundamentally kind of hovered around the same area of, of belief. But thinking about the structures that influence male engagement or disengagement, because I think that they are one and the same, right? It's like chicken, mm-hmm. and, chicken and egg kind of thing. Yin and yang. Mm-hmm. Mario Luigi. Yeah. <laughs> we got to think about this idea and granted it comes from a social theorist that uh, of european descent um and and i just don't exactly can't pinpoint it on any indigenous thought framework but i know it's there um because you're mexican indigenous yeah or we didn't yeah yeah well and i think i was uh, trying to yeah (laughs) yeah yeah well yeah you know 
and thanks for the, you know the the shout out to to that identity and, and who I am because these and and even for yourself right as a black male and also Afro Indigenous like our people had structures of how our societies functioned mm. right and and ultimately we cherished this idea of intersectionality between the individual and the collective right the collective can only be as strong as each individual responsibly takes care of themselves now so just kind of taking that as like an indigenous framework um and what i was getting to is uh talcott Par- parsons a social theorist who who provided us a framework called structural functionalism and if we think about the structure of family at the center of it, we can think about four major structures within society. Um, it's a big picture view of, of essentially how these four structures or pillars, if you will, um, kind of uphold a society. And, and those four would be polity, polity or, mm-hmm. or, you know, your political structures, education or slash schooling, um, religion and economy and and all of these need to work together for the good of the whole and the whole is the structure of the family so if we take care of the family we're therefore taking care of citizens and 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 therefore the overall collective right Mm -hmm. but we also need to consider who are these structures favoring Mm. they obviously haven't favored you or me or our people nope Right. It's a loss of our languages, our mm-hmm. indigenous languages, mm-hmm. our indigenous ways of knowing and being, even though we in our deep in our DNA and our ancestral ways of knowing, we know that they're there. And you and I are on our own uh, journeys mm-hmm. of like awakening them. Right, We know that they're deep in us. And, and so we're figuring out how to. um, Again, like awaken those ways of. Uh, epistemologies or ways of being or ways of knowing um and ontologies the ways of being to uh to coexist within Mm. these uh societal structures but we obviously know that like you know a colonized way of being in the united states is that a lot of it is like structured on being a cisgendered white heterosexual male Mm -hmm. And so when I when I think about like oh this this idea of disengagement or engagement or joy or healing through uh, the the incorporation the presence whether that's physical financial spiritual emotional um, of not just fathers because I or, or males um, but also father like figures because we play a variety of different roles in the world. I my mind goes to family and just what do we because it's so odd within the context of the United States how we view family as the most integral part of society, but we have we 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 limit we have a limited view of what family actually means. Mm-hmm. And so what exactly do we mean by family? I think that's a great time for people to pause and and to think about it what do we mean by family what is what is your definition of family how do you define it how does your job define family 
And then also, how do the people you work with define family? Because you might get three different answers right there. And so when I think about male engagement in the family, I really need to disrupt our, our societal structures about what we think family is. Family is no longer and never been, at least when we think about the collectivism that she was talking about in my community, family also includes the barber mm-hmm. because the barber is the one who took me to school most of the days. And so he was fam for me. And so we need to reshape our, de- our ideas about roles and our structure. And by doing so means we're actually disrupting, disrupting the notion of, of men and male's desires and their capacity and their abilities to be caregivers. It's interesting that you bring up that dynamic of uh, male involvement within the structure of family. Um, and again, for our communities, indigenous communities. And again, for those listening, when I say indigenous, I'm also kind of painting a broad, um, what do they call that? Painting a broad stroke, like in in including including the the black community, right? Mm -hmm. And Afro-indigeneity that we had different ideas of what male involvement in the family was that it is counter to this capitalistic white supremacy sort of view on it and and really like the whole nuclear family or nuclear however you pronounce it i don't want to be george bush at this point (laughs) um you know but and so our way again our ways of being and our ways of knowing that are again ingrained in our uh ancestral dna um like i mentioned let you know, that we're uncovering and dusting off, really, it, it, it began, it, it, at least for you and I, Mike, we're like, we're beginning to question what our role is, or not beginning, but we have been questioning what our role is as men in this society, right? And it's, you know, not to like derail or anything, um, there, I'm thinking about uh, not too long ago when we were thinking about a title of a presentation, right? And I was like, oh, I'll mm-hmm. take the power of male involvement and yeah. presence, right? Mm-hmm. I And I, I wanted that one instead of like real men change diapers. Yeah. Because this concept of like, what is a real man, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And because a lot of the times when we l- look at like that one, even that's just a real man, like two words, like, what is that? Like, what are those two words implicating? And and who are we isolating? And what are we, like, mm-hmm. dismissing? You know, when we say, like, be a real man or real men do this and real men do that. And I I was actually going to say, like, because uh, I think the title was, like, Real Men Change Diapers. Uh-huh. And I was going to actually offer, like, men who change diapers change the world. Ooh. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of rings out a little bit. It encapsulates like, hey, like, yeah, we, because there is no definition of a real man. No, unless you're a Budweiser and then yeah, that <laughs> commercial, remember that? Real men of genius. Real oh, men of yeah. genius. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But... Was it Bud Light or was it Budweiser? I think I don't remember. I'm, they're the same company, yeah. right? Anyways. Here. <laughs> but just our presence as male educators of color as as caregivers as people centering joy and healing in our work 
is also part of a larger revolution, part of a gender uh, revolution. Because we're elevating the position that child rearing is is a public good, is that change that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And how how I think we as part of the collective, all of us, if we're working to make services more father-friendly, that's part of a revolution as well. Mm-hmm. But of course, when you have white supremacy, you know, that reinforcing interlocking system that uses oppressive ideologies of what it means to be a man, a real man, mm-hmm. what it means to be a male, what it means to be Black or Mexican or Indigenous, or however you identify, what it means to operate in this society, how you should act, look, think, know be, show up, that interlocking system that we're talking about that oppresses people based off of their abilities, their characteristics, their race, are functioning simultaneously at all times in our lives. And so we need to be cognizant of that and and constantly pushing back on it when it comes to male engagement. And the answer, because the answer where I go and I talk about this all over the place, is, is not well, I, I I need to just hire more males. Mm-hmm. I need to hire more men. So I think the 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 paradigm shift we need to go is not ask the question is where are all the men so I can hire them and put them in my program. Mm-hmm. But instead, the question is how am I making my environment, my services, my program more father friendly, more male friendly? Yeah, scrutinize the structure. Mm-hmm. Right. I mentioned the four pillars of um, society and structural functionalism. And again, their religion, polity, economy, and education slash schooling. And so in our case, it's about scrutinizing, um, hey, you know what? Education used to be mostly taught by men. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it shifted to being, quote, unquote, women's work. Why? How? Yeah. And then what is what is this emphasis of like oh okay like let's stick with that and shift all the men and men and again in the united states generally white men have been in politics um and generally there has been a uh, white men leading what religion ought to be in this country right and pushed down on uh black and indigenous people uh and they dictate what the economy structure is going to be. And so we need to scrutinize all the things. But like I was uh, going to get at is that in our particular case, we need to scrutinize the social structure and functionalism of education and schooling. What is the function of just having women working a low paying job? We'll be right back. These last few months have brought upon a lot of changes in Nick's and Mike's lives. New cities, new jobs, new adventures, us going independent. Shout out to all the peeps who supported us along the way. And now we have a new email address. You can email us at napcast206 at gmail.com. For all your NAPCAST questions, ideas, and thoughts. And while our new website isn't quite up and running yet, you can still find us where you listen to all your music and podcasts. 
Spotify, Apple Music, Google, and so much more. So what should we chat about next? You tell us. And as always, thank you for listening. You know what? This might be another conversation, but one thing that I want to put out there, mm-hmm. you know how we're just getting over this whole like writers and actors strike mm-hmm. and how that halted a lot of things. Can yeah. you imagine if collectively? Yeah, right. I, I know where you're going with this. Uh-huh. Early childhood educators stuck yeah. out five months of like, we're not going to work. The world will fall apart. Yeah. And this is what really like pissed me off mm-hmm. about the writer strike is like, you guys write for TV and like, I get that there's like AI stuff, but there's, there's a real uh, implication that AI can also take our jobs in mm-hmm. a way, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a couple of articles that have been released about how that, how AI is going to yeah, artificial think, uh-huh. intelligence yeah, is going that. to influence education and especially early childhood education. Um, but anyway, like at the core of it, when we see that like a whole industry, billions of dollars, especially here in Southern California, mm-hmm. California being the fourth largest economy in the world, mm-hmm. that that economic stronghold like ceased to stop. And, and those people, I don't think any of them are living in tents or RVs at this point, mm-hmm. but that they were able to halt a whole industry and then get what they want. But where are all, all their children at? Mm. They're in care, our care, right? Like early childhood, right? They're in, they're in care. And so, yeah, again, it's like. Let's have to downplay like the roles or why they strike, you know, went on strike. Because, you know, of course they got to get a living wage too. And that's, that's all we're in respect and dignity and and have their whole humanity realized. But I come from it as like, why not us? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, and it, and it illuminates this idea of what the societal structures put an emphasis on, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. And it's not on education, yeah. right? We often talk about school readiness and all these things, but we don't put our money where the mouth is. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Now, unless we F with somebody else's money by going on strike on uh-huh. a wide scale, uh-huh. then people are going to listen and take us seriously. And yeah, granted, there's a little bit more of that. Sorry, I digress. No, no. But, but it, this, this is my next like kind of question or reflection question I want to throw out to the audience and people listening um, because I'm going to throw this out. But I think what I also want to shift us to is this idea of intergenerational trauma, but, and also intergenerational healing as it relates to male engagement, because mm-hmm. that that's another big topic, but to, to wrap our ideas up on structural functionalism and families is, is kind of two reflection questions, maybe three, if I can put that, together as I word vomit here <laughs> is what does uh, a boy or girl or two spirit or not one of our, you know, what if our, uh, uh, what is a, a, a young King? Cause I talk, I talk about, and I call our, our black boys, young Kings, uh, our, our young Queens, our young non-binary royalties. What do they explicitly or implicitly learn about themselves and their placement in the world through these social functions and structures? And then furthermore, so that's one question. Another question is, 
what traits or what characteristics do children inherit from fathers and father figures? And I, and I throw that out there because sometimes we go, well, I don't want, like, especially if it's a quote-unquote nuclear family, right, where it's one mom, one dad, and children, and mom and dad don't get along, and then mom goes, well, I don't want them seeing their father, or I'm going to talk bad about their father, or right? And so you're harming their relationship with their father just because you two can't agree. Not, not all women, right? It's And it's obviously it's vice versa. Um, but what are, what are they learning when they hear, well, your father's a scumbag mm-hmm. or your father sucks or we don't talk with him or he left us or, you know, whatever the narrative that, that you're saying that paints him in a bad light, because then you're projecting your bad relationship onto them. And so now they might have this, I don't want to say daddy issues because we all have daddy issues, right? <laughs> People like to just say, oh, daddy issues is just for females. I'm like, no, no, I got some. You got some, Nick? <laughs> yes. Maybe that's we, we all, well, yeah, we've got our daddy issues. And, and you know, and even to like, a, on a, I don't know, I don't want to, again, like diminish this, it. but like on a, on a different scale, um, what do we communicate to children and emphasize about the family structure and function of it when we say go ask your dad mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. we we are putting these male figures as the gatekeepers of permissibility right mm-hmm. or as like gatekeepers of of knowledge mm-hmm. or, and and it really um again it's it, i i really believe that it, it emphasizes the 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 subtle and not so subtle structures and pillars of uh patriarchy yeah and 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 then what if you say like what if the dad on the other end says like go ask your mom exactly right but then the child is also hearing from the mom but like go, go ask, ask your dad, dad right or or even when we hear females often say well i'm not good at math go ask your father mm-hmm Right. That's what he's what is that inherently telling the young child that mm-hmm. oh, who might be a female? Oh, well, mom isn't good at math. So I guess all girls don't aren't good at math. Right. So I need to ask or dumb myself down in the presence of of males when it comes to the STEM fields. Yeah. And the idea of uh being assertive, like, oh well, this gatekeeper of knowledge who identifies as male has this assertive personality. Um, but then when the female count- counterpart tries to assert themselves, then they're bossy or they're loud or they're noisy and, and whatnot. And so we create these uh, these structures of intergenerational uh, conflict, right? And then leading into like, I think what you were getting out of like trauma as well. And so with, just like intergenerational male trauma. It's it's not my specialty, right? It's not my my expertise, quote unquote. Um, even though I push back on that word of expert because we're all on the learning journey. Mm-hmm. But it does have something to do with everything that we do, especially as we talk about joy and healing through male engagement. Because really our collective trauma which isn't just in families or just in in an individual or, you know, just isn't in one nation, right? It it causes a lot of stress and it stays with us for multiple generations. Was it seven generations? 
Yeah, the se- seventh generation concept. Yeah. Yeah. So from what I have only kind of recently learned, it's not just sen- seven generations before you, mm-hmm. right? And this is mostly from um, uh, uh, the to be sort of binary about it, like the, the female perspective, um, those that are fortunate and I think honored and blessed to carry uh, life-giving eggs in mm-hmm. their body. Um, from what I understand, women carry all the eggs that they're going to have in their lifetime. So you're carrying future generations in, in your body at that point. And then you are one generation. And then there are the generations that come that have came before you. Mm-hmm. Right. So this, links up into this uh seven generation concept and that's again me just regurgitating what um i remember learning mm-hmm. from a indigenous person and and it gets back at like the intergenerational trauma it's not just what was done um before you right like it's what's done after you and mm-hmm. currently to and with you and we know it changes our DNA. Mm-hmm. It changes the the composition of our DNA, and so we have more stress responses. Mm-hmm. But when when we think about intergenerational male trauma, especially in the intersection of education, we have to also understand as as BIPOCs or people. I would hope understand a little bit more of that as BIPOCs. The system has always criminalized us more. And so after 18 years, assuming you make it and you graduate high school, because a lot of us don't, mm-hmm. because it's not a safe space. It's not a safe space it's, where we can be loved and, and see our full, full humanity. The structure wasn't built for us. The structure was not built for us. It was meant to assimilate us, right? Exactly. Um, we we engage in so much harm that why why the hell would we want to go back and engage as as parents as father figures as males involved in children, young children's lives why do why do you think or expect us to be involved if there was no healing involved mm-hmm. and so we're we're locked within Especially with the societal norms and, and thoughts that says, hey, men are supposed to be tough and not show emotions. And so then we become prisoners of this anger and and revenge and, and hurt. And so it's hard for us to process that. It's not an excuse, but this is why early ed- childhood education is so important to be able to help children, if we center mental health, to support young males and being able to process all of that in healthy ways, mm-hmm. ways that are healthy, healthy and culturally sustaining for them. Um, it's it's hard for us to go back as adults and be part of a system that's caused us so much shame because that's re-triggering. That's that's another that's triggering our trauma responses as well. And so I just wanted to throw that out there to give people a, a better perspective of hey. Why why do I always why can't I get into contact with dad? Why dad why doesn't this father or this male in their lives want to come to it? And so it's not your fault that you caused them trauma, but just because it wasn't your fault doesn't mean that you shouldn't be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And I think that again, I think 
I mentioned it at the top of this, that there's that really interesting intersection, intersectionality of, of, um, individualism and collectivism, right. Mm -hmm. And how there's this sort of mutual responsibility to heal and repair amongst each other. And so it, and not amongst, yeah, amongst and with one another. And, and when we, when we, when you were talking about like, why is it hard to get a hold of this father? You know, and I'm thinking of it as like, yeah, how come in a lot of circumstances, uh, I mean, you and I see a lot of preschools mm-hmm. and early care or in learning centers that we predominantly see women in there, right? And we mm-hmm. predominantly see the matriarchal figure coming to pick up and dropping off the child. And, and it's kind of... Male involvement in early childhood education is the same as um, when we think about uh, diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. right? It's about representation, mm-hmm. right? Just as there needs to be more educators of color to represent the children that are there, um, that are relevant to them and the people that they're going to see in their everyday community and whatnot, their, their Suedo village, if you will, Yeah, that there also needs to be the gender mm-hmm. identities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I, like... We, I think I want to clarify that, like for this podcast, we're speaking in binary terms because we are of that binary. Uh, we're we're one part of that binary set, mm-hmm. but we are also um, accomplices. I would say mm-hmm. to our gender fluid, non-binary, transgender uh, friends, yeah. right? And and we support them, but our positionality is to uplift those voices and to make a stand to. Um, re 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 not reimagine because they're again like our 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 indigenous backgrounds had a robust sustainable way of male involvement mm-hmm. and so we're reawakening that right it's not necessarily it's deconstructing this colonized view of what male involvement is with children mm-hmm. and in the family structure but we are also um we're pushing we're deconstructing it and we're reawakening what we've already what our ancestors already knew was good and true. And so on the flip side of that, with, with intergenerational healing, we can go so many different ways. Nick, do you have any thoughts? Well, our inner what I've learned from um one of my Shumash ancestors, uh, she taught me that with intergenerational trauma comes the intergenerational healing then Mm -hmm. but we need to acknowledge um like i was saying just a bit ago the ways of our ancestors and to recognize that to reawaken right Mm -hmm. and and it's not it's not creating something new out of nowhere as they say like don't reinvent the wheel Mm -hmm. you just gotta and it's like such a cliche and i like to say that cliches are you know overstated truths but look to your past to know where you want to go in the future to Mm -hmm. influence your present Mm -hmm. right and so um you know when i think about that the native american uh and indigenous like uh medicine wheel there are there are four colors that uh break it down and so there's there's white to the north that represents preservation, which, you know, preservation is your body, your skills, maintaining the positive patterns of view and uh, and life as an ongoing system. Um, we can view the north as support fatherhood and male involvement. And then there's the yellow to the east, 
representing the awareness, uh, awareness and attitudes of insight into behavioral patterns, ever increasing understanding, understanding of oneself and the world. And so the East also represents recognize the need to disrupt connotations of fatherhood and male involvement. And then to the South is red. And uh, this is where you pray for your struggles, right? Where you look to creator or whoever you look to as the greater being. Um, it's, it's the struggle. It's the heart. It's your emotion, your feelings about self and others and how we interrelate that interconnectedness, which is a big component of indigenous thinking and ways of being. And, and that red, the South, um, is to expect father male involvement and, and father uh, male involvement. And then to the West, which is Black, is building on your life lessons, like developing the mind and gaining knowledge, developing the new positive life experiences into continuous patterns, right? So making something sustainable. And what the West reminds us on the medicine wheel is to create father and male involvement so be innovative like how are you how are your policies and practices within your structure going to influence how your uh, overall program or what you're seeing in your preschool or early care setting um, is going to sustain and encourage male involvement and fatherhood involvement and so I want to leave us with one final question just to kind of ponder on as we talk about intergenerational healing is what are the strategies in place to help BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color, and specifically BIPOC males to heal in your programs, in your messaging, in your hiring, in your onboarding in your environments, not just, and also take it a step further, not just in your, just not just in the fathers or father-like figures or the males who drop the children off, but how are you also doing that for the males involved in your program? The educators, the people that you hire, not just the educators. How are you also doing that for the custodial people? for the cooks, for the bus driver, for the community members. And so what are the strategies you have in place to help center BIPOC male healing, their emotional, their psychological, their behavioral, their physiological healing in all assets of your program? 